This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. My name is Andy Larson. I'm your host today. I don't actually have a co-host today. It's it's lonely in the ESPN 700 studios. We've got Bill in OC in California for the Pac-12 Media Days. We've got Tom Kirkland, uh, Dave Gore out there as well. So it's just me and our producer, John LaFollette, uh, in, in the studio today. But we do have some fantastic guests as a result. Um, basically, the way this will work is we'll have a new guest every segment. We'll talk basketball. Um, and the NBA, you may think that there's nothing going on in the NBA, but that's that's not the case. Uh, we had Dante Exum played in a game for Australia this week. Um, Australia lost 80-68 to to Lithuania. Uh, and, and Dante Exum didn't perform that well. Uh, he had six points, two assists, I believe, um, and only 19 minutes of play. He, he still is not a big part of the Australian national team, which is a little bit worrying if you know you really think he's a can become a star level player you you'd think that even you know your team's national team would would play you more time but regardless uh we'll talk about that a little bit we've got five different guests on the show today ben dowsett is about to join us right now uh dan clayton in the second segment clark schmutz uh third segment seth partnow from nylon calculus and the washington Post fancy stats blog joins us at the eight o'clock hour and Dean Demakis, uh, founder of DeanOnDraft.com. He does awesome prospect uh, analysis. We're going to ask him about what he learned in Summer League this year about about the prospects in this year's draft. Maybe ask him a little bit about Trey Lyles as well. Um, probably under-impressed, I would say, in, in Summer League. Kind of, we'll, we'll get his opinion on whether or not the Jazz made the right pick there at, at number 12. Um. But yeah, let, let's get started. We, I, I think we've got Ben on the line. Ben, are you there? I am here, Andy. How are you? Cool. I'm doing well. So Ben is the usual co-host of the show. I'm so glad. I, ben, I miss you. I just want to say that. I, I've had you off the show for like a month now, and it, it feels like it's missing something. It's, it feels like it's been so much longer than that. <laughs> is that a sign or a bad sign? No, or uh, maybe it's been shorter. I'm not sure, but I've got a nice little... You can hear me fine, right? I got a yeah. yeah, you're good. On up here you're in canada it's not you know it's not siberia quite <laughs> are you there now i can't hear you me. ben are you there we're missing i am and you all can right, you hear cool. me here yes perfect okay so uh first of all uh, thanks for joining us i miss you uh, you're coming back next week right you promise I, well, I fly back on Thursday. I'll have Ooh. to see the. Uh, I'll have to check the times and whatnot. If I'm if I'm back on time, hopefully I'll be able to just come straight from the airport and run to the studio. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, you can make that happen. Hopefully, the the airline gods smile in our favor. Yeah. But regardless, um, I talked about it a little bit in in kind of the intro, but Dante Exum is our one man on on the Utah Jazz who has played basketball this week. And and he kind of struggled a little bit. Um, didn't really make the impression that I think a lot of people thought that he might. Uh, only had 19 minutes. That's that's not a ton. Um, but he did make three out of four shots, so there's something like that. Brock Modem, actually, Jazz 
legend Brock Modem led the way with a game high 19 points, shooting nine from 12. So that's that's an interesting um, side note as well. That you know maybe Brock Modem is outshining you in this environment. Are are you at all worried about what Dante showed in that game? Well, I have to be. I have not actually been able to view that game yet um, because I've been up here. I haven't. I haven't been able to get the right access to watch that game just yet. I, the only thing I've been able to see was like a, a write up of the game. So I found out from that that Modem had a really good game, and I, I did see that Exum was a little underwhelming. I'm assuming he didn't start, correct? Correct. Uh, yeah. Oh, and did Della, did Della Vadova start over him then? I believe so. Yes. Sorry, I. I... I have to, you know, I watched like 40 of the 48 minutes of this game, or I guess 39 out of the 40 because it's a FIBA game. But regardless, okay. um, yeah, I, so I, I didn't see exactly who, who started. Uh, oh, it looks like, sorry, Della Vidova rested. My apologies. Right, um, okay. They so, did play, well, I will say that they played Exum off the ball. They played him at a lot of shooting guard. Um, and, and so uh, he didn't get very many touches period not you know it wasn't that he wasn't doing anything with the touches he quite frankly just wasn't getting the ball they were running a lot of things through Bogut and Brock Modem which I think that makes sense you know those guys are a little bit more veterans on the team and those are going to be their their primary focal points especially Bogut I think uh here in the the Europe is it Europia is that how, I think that's how <laughs> they, they pronounce it um I'm, you know, I'm a little bit concerned with, to, to hear that he didn't play so well and to look at his, his stat line and everything. But at the, at the same time, I don't know that it really moves the needle a whole lot long term because, you know, the, the national play is extremely different, obviously, from the NBA. He's, he's, you know, this is a guy who's been working really hard over the last year to integrate himself into a new NBA system, one that's pretty complex on both ends of the ball. And so I think to a pretty high degree, it's it's somewhat understandable that he's not able to, as a much younger guy than most of these players, to kind of just jump in and kind of be the focal point right away. You know, he still he just turned 20 like a couple of weeks ago. So I, I don't want to freak out or worry about it too much. I do hope that as they continue play, they have, a, I think, one or two more exhibitions, and then they play the actual games against New Zealand like mid-August. I, I hope to see him become more involved, and you'd hope that within practices and everything like that that he's earning his time to do that and that maybe he can be a bit more of a primary offensive creator. I'm, re- I'm actually really interested to see whether or not he ends up being able to start any of those games over Delhi or whether they have Della Vadova or somebody else start in front of him. See, and I, I think they just definitely will. I, I, I should say I've, I've pulled up the box score now. Dante Exum did start in, in the game. Did he? Okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, which you'd hope for if, if Delhi is not playing. Yeah. Um, but still, was was not the primary point guard, um, and it's just weird that he's you know in a, in a roster when really only two or three NBA players are on the floor: Dante Exum, Andrew Bogut, and you know you can make a case for Brock Modum. Um, Brokoff was in was in the D League this year. Or, the guy uh, from the Bulls was there as well, wasn't he? I'm 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 blanking. Jawai, but uh, drafted last year also. Yeah, Nathan um, Jawai. Is that who you're thinking of? Uh, no, Cameron Bearstow. I don't. Oh. I know he's going to be playing on the roster against New Zealand. I don't know if he was in that game. He was particular. not. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I'm. I, I'm not. I'm not mortally worried about it. I want to see him more involved, but really, the 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 time when I'm going to be truly paying attention again, or you know, I'm going to be watching and everything. But the time when I'm going to be <laughs> worried again is is once the preseason gets going. If we can't see some of that same aggression that we did see in that one game of of summer league. Um, then it might be cause for a little bit of concern at that point. Okay, let me ask you this, kind of transitioning, but I guess keeping it with the Jazz's point guard situation and, and Trey Burke, 
There's a great article in the Deseret News this week, and uh, let me just read it for you because I know you know the Deseret News does not, I guess. Send I have, yeah, I haven't been able to, to get Canada. the delivery service up but, to, to to Toronto for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but let me. Uh, so in catch and shoot situations, this is Trey Burke. He averaged 46% from two-point range and 35% from three, which are very solid numbers. Mm-hmm. But on pull-up jumpers, he shot only 40% from two and just a really kind of sad 18% from three. Ew. So, yeah, <laughs> you is kind of the right kind of point of view. That also means, by the way, that like his layup situation was even worse. But regardless, um, and layup and floater game was very ugly because uh, he ended up with a 36.8% overall Field goal shooting. But to me, that that tells me a lot about basically Trey Burke's shot selection being part of the problem here, right? Like, oh, yeah. uh, being a capable shooter in catch-and-shoot situations, but he just takes way too many of the other kinds of shots. And defenses, uh, we've been saying this, I believe, since the since not even last season, since the year before, since his rookie year, we've been saying defenses are clearly baiting him into those shots. They're, when he comes around the corner on the pick-and-roll, he's seeing space. Not enough space to get to the hoop, but he's seeing enough space to pull up for that jumper every time, and defenses are, are applauding themselves in their heads every time <laughs> he's taking that shot because he's, he's just not good enough at making it yet. And I, I do want to contextualize real briefly those catch-and-shoot numbers. They're, they're decent. They're not, like, awesome. If the, if, so if you filter it out to guys last season who shot uh, at least three-plus or three or more catch-and-shoot shots per game by, by the sport view tracking. There was 144 of those guys last year, and Trey was 90th of those 144 from three. Um, he was a little higher than that in his overall percentage and his effective field goal percentage. But, you know, that's still a little below average. It did rise from the year before, which that's a positive. You like to see that. Um, and also you can, you can look up uh, using Synergy Sports. They have a, a, a category called no-dribble jumpers, so basically the, almost the exact same thing, and it was basically the same number there. He improved marginally over the year before, which you like to see that, but at the same time, we're, we're not talking about one of the league's more accurate, uh, not even in the top 50% accurate uh, catch-and-shoot guys, and as you mentioned, his, his off-the-pounce game shooting is, uh, is pretty catastrophic. Right, yeah, and, and that's a worrying thing. I, I guess I, I would like to see either in year three, he can either become a better shooter or he can become a smarter shooter. It's kind of a path forward, right? And I yeah, guess I, I think he he has to, and the actually probably the biggest thing for me coming into this year, as far as his shooting goes, at least is as which you mentioned earlier, also is his his finishing at the rim. He he's been one of the worst guards in the league at that for both his both his years in the league so far. And if you can't get to the rim and cause teams to actually have to worry about you there and bring help over and things like that, if you can't do that and you can't shoot off the bounce. You're really limited as far as what you can do as a primary ball handler in the in the game today, even even off the bench, honestly. Yeah, and the good news is he was on a uh, press conference call for the NBA Africa thing, kind of a, a conference call um, that's available to the press that they do kind of with these far away locale sort of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and Trey said, you know, those are the two things that I'm working on: one, my finishing at the rim, and two, my you know pull up shooting. So it's good to know that like. The Jazz have correctly identified his weaknesses, shared him with Trey. I, you know, he probably knew them before the Jazz told him as well, but and, and is working on them. Now, that being said, presumably he did something last summer as well, and he regressed. You know, So just because he's working on it doesn't necessarily mean he'll get better, but at least he's doing the right thing, even, even if it is not 
turns out doesn't turn out to be successful. And I'd like to think that it's going to be an even larger point of emphasis from the coaching staff, the, the shot selection that you mentioned, and kind of the between the years part of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think, and you know, this is total speculation, and I could be wildly off here, but I think when you know when Quinn Snyder and his staff were put in place last year, and they were starting to kind of look at the team. They, they, I think, I, at least I don't think one of their primary concerns would necessarily have been Trey Burke's shot selection, maybe a, to a small degree, but I think, I think if you look at the 2013-14 Jazz, I, I think you could point to a lot of other problems first that maybe the, right. the coaching staff would have had their eyes on, like, you know, the league-worst defense that they had <laughs> and several right. other things like that. And I think maybe there wouldn't have been as large of an emphasis of Quinn and his coaching staff getting in Trey's ear all the time and being like, listen, you have, you know, when there's 18 seconds left on the shot clock and you're pulling up for an 18-footer, it doesn't matter how open you are. That's bad. Like, you can't do that. Um, And I want to think, hopefully, that's going to be maybe a bit more of a point of emphasis this summer when he's working with the Jazz staff in particular. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Because you're right, those, those sort of shots are never good, even if you're open. Yeah. Well, not if you're Trey Burke. If you're Steph Curry, they're good. Okay, fair. Um, if you're Trey Burke. <laughs> if you're Steph Curry, there are a lot of exceptions to these rules. But, yes, yeah. no, I, I mean, you're right. Um, I want to read these tweets from Sporadic Regularity. Uh, he's been chiming in on the Dante Exum thing. Basically, uh, I actually like what I thought from Dante versus Lithuania. Nothing spectacular, but all around solid. They played him again off ball, which pissed me off, but he was Killing their hedges with great p- passes in the paint. Dante started. He didn't play much in the second game because he, or in the second half, sorry, because he got into foul trouble. Why he didn't finish the game is a mystery. But again, he was a plus-minus all-star, plus two in a game lost by Australia by twelve points. That's okay. Uh, that's a, that's a little bit of context there. That's uh, so that that's good, and that kind of even further sort of mitigates any little small concerns that I might have had previously. You know, you'd, you'd rather he doesn't pick up fouls in the NBA, but maybe the game is being called slightly differently. Uh, it would take a lot more for me to be worried about, about Dante and in international play, especially international play where they're, you know, the best team they're going to play against is probably that Lithuania team, you know. Yeah, uh, I guess, that's, I mean, for now anyway, until the World Cup next summer. Right. Um, I, I would, I, I'm a little bit more worried than you, I guess, because I, I just struggle to think of a all-star caliber player who is this uninvolved in the you know multiple team contexts in their first year and in their second summer you know that's, what i mean that's fair I, I i definitely think it's a valid concern to want but i i i do think we're still kind of dealing with a guy that's in a different mental place than almost anyone that we've seen previously and it's and i you know i don't want to totally absolve him of any of any you know error or anything like that but i i still think there's time to for those sorts of things between his ears to be ironed out yeah no that that's true all right, now I've I've got a question for you about your your personal love affair with Alec Burks. Um, <laughs> kind of going down the list of jazz guards, if you will. And I don't know, maybe this is kind of cooled off because he had the injury and all that, but you were the world's number one Alec Burks fan. Um, he, again, had a press availability with his trip to the Philippines, was asked about his injury and said, man, I think it's at 100% the shoulder. I just got cleared probably like a couple of weeks ago. How do you think he fits within this Jazz team, kind of within what we saw during the second part of last season? Because that's a very, very excellent defensive team and also kind of a a team that shares the ball really well on offense, something that I I guess wouldn't be Alec Burks' strong suit. You know, he's great at finishing around the rim. 
and and driving to the hole. But I, I don't know where he fits into really either this team's offense or defensive scheme. Right. Um, so, for, well, first I'll start off by saying that I, I'm still driving the Alec Burks bandwagon. I, I might be driving <laughs> okay. it like a little slower than I was previously, although I, I really don't want to put too much stock in the, the 26 or 27 games that he played last year while being bothered for at least some of them by the shoulder injury. I, I've cooled down a bit, but I think no one, everyone else was so far behind me anyway that I'm still leading <laughs> that pack. Okay. Um, that said, I am really interested to see, and Alec has remarked before, he's told us, I believe it was, I'm not exactly sure when it was, it was right near the end of the, it may have been exit interviews actually at the end of the season, he basically insinuated that his shoulder has never been truly 100% since he entered the NBA. Not only just this past season, but that he's had a lingering issue with it since he played at Colorado in college. And I'm really interested to see, you know, obviously whether that's true and whether that takes a, a noticeable load off him. I mean, he'll certainly, we hope he improves from, from last year when he was hurt. Um, and as far as his fit, you're right. I think there's a couple areas there that, you, at least based on what we saw of him in his last full season in, in 2013-14, might not seem as conducive. You know, his, his defensive abilities, I've, I'm really bullish on him on the ball, but he's, been, he's had a lot of issues away from the ball. He drifts into no man's land far too often. He's, he's ball watches a lot things like that, I'm really, I, I really think the first little while of the season is going to go a long way as to saying, you know, how much did he learn last year while essentially being a, an actively involved observer of Quinn Snyder's scheme? How much did he learn about help defense? How much did he learn about the Jazz's scheme in particular? And then on the other end, how, much, how well is he going to be able to kind of fit into a system that maybe is a little bit more ball share heavy than, than he may have done before? And if he doesn't fit as well, then I think the conversations regarding uh, Rodney Hood taking his spot in the starting lineup might intensify quickly, though I do think Alec will start in the starting lineup. We saw the precedent last year with Cantor. When Cantor was hurt, he missed a few games. Even though Gobert was spectacular in those games, Cantor returned to the starting role after that, and I think they'll do the same with Burks to start out. But the C could get hot really quickly if he doesn't kind of incorporate some of those more jazz-specific elements into his game. So when I asked the coaching staff this question, that you get two answers. You know, you kind of get one of those those worries that I stated that he may not fit into a system, or you know, he'll need to adapt from the player that he was in order to really fit in well. But then there's another response that maybe the Jazz need a little bit of off the dribble bounce that they don't currently get from obviously not Dante Exum, but it's not like Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert are off the dribble guys. Gordon Hayward is a little bit, but is maybe not the ISO-scored great finisher that, that Alec Burks could be. And, and so they feel like maybe that gives them a little bit of versatility. Um, so that, it's a kind of a weird mix. Like, does this different skill set that maybe doesn't fit in that well uh, actually help you by giving you something defenses need to prepare for that's, that's different than, quote-unquote, jazz basketball? Or does it hurt you by, you know, making it four guys who are on the same page rather than five? I, I think a lot of that will depend on, you know, what effect it has on the other guys on the court. You know, does that take other guys completely out of their rhythm when they're used to playing one way and then Alec gets on the floor and they have to play a different way? You know, would that lend its – if they do feel like that and it works efficiently, would that lend itself more to what a lot of – and even I'm starting to come around to to a certain point of him maybe being a, a, a overqualified sixth man where Rodney Hood starts and then Alec can come in and essentially run – second units along with Trey Burke, and they can, you know, they can kind of make some things happen there. 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see, and um, these, the, the first you know, training camp preseason and the first few weeks of the season are going to really say a lot, both about his health and how much, you know, how much more athletic and agile he can look now that he's got no issues with the shoulder, that and how well he's kind of picked up the, the sort of the mental side and the, the bits of changes to his normal game that he may have to incorporate to play Quinn Snyder's brand of basketball. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I, I want to ask you this. I'm planning on asking all of our jazz-related guests this today. I want to ask you about your all-time jazz starting five. All right. Um, who do you got at you know each position? Point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. What what lineup are you running out there? Okay, so I've seen the, this has been going around Twitter lately, right? Yeah. So I think David Locke started this in in one of his tip-offs. We had an article on it on KSL.com published either yesterday or today. I can't remember which. Um, but, yeah, so we've had a little bit of conversation about this. I'm curious where you, where you stand. All right, well, I don't know. That I, th- I, I want to think that what I'm going to say is a slight curveball. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> already suggested it. Okay. People will probably think I'm crazy, but here's what I'm going with. I'm going with John Stockton at the point, obviously. I'm going with Jeff Hornacek at the two. I'm going with Andre Kirilenko at the three. I'm going with Pete Maravich at the four. What? Yep, that's right. And you can switch Kirilenko and Maravich. Yeah. Kirilenko can guard modern fours. And I'm, 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 I'm thinking of this in a modern, modern version of the NBA game. Okay. And then, obviously, I'm going with Carl Malone at the five. And uh, because I know people will want to have it, if, if they wanted a more traditional starting five with their traditional positions that they played, I would, I would put in Mark Eaton at center and move Maravich out and move Carl Malone down to the four. Do you think Mark Eaton works in today's game? Like, I, I don't. No, for sure. You know, like, well, that's half the reason why I didn't have him in the original lineup. Is I'm, I'm, if we're playing a game today with the current modern understanding of basketball, I think I'd rather have that first lineup that I said. Like Maravich, and I'm worse. You know, I'm assuming that these players are all in their primes, right? Like, right. Because I was right, assuming right. that the Maravich version is not the guy that played very briefly for Utah because he wasn't exactly at his like career peak at that well, point. Well, he was for, like, one season. So if you okay. take his best jazz season, I, I, you know, you can still really make this argument. Right. So, you know, either way, I, 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 I figured I'd throw, like, a little slight curveball there, and you might be a little No, I like it. I mean, I, you know, but Andre Kirilenko is incredibly versatile. He, can, he could guard two through four, even, like, even certain five. Yeah. Probably it, has a massive wingspan. Um, you know, Stockton's great at the one. Hornacek can hit shots. You've got a lot of shooting there, and then when you need buckets, you say, hey, Carl, let's run some pick-and-roll, and, roll. and you, can, you, you run one of the most deadly pick-and-roll attacks in the history of the game with three shooters spotting up around outside. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great lineup offensively. I do put, you know, I say Pistol Pete's your shooting guard or small forward, and then Andre's your, your four. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that could work. Defensively, I'm a little bit worried. Um, Carl Malone's not really like a rim protector type. So, But, you know, maybe if you have Andre Karolenko, weak side helping – at, from the four position, that helps. Pete Maravich is going to let a lot of people pass by. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, think it, I think it's good. I, I may have to bring it up with the rest of our guests and, like, say, you know, what if? This is what Ben said. Yeah, I, you know, I thought it was a fun little, a fun little one there. Because, I, like I assume, you know, I assume everybody is going to have Stockton, Hornacek, and, and Malone. And most people are probably going to have Karolenko. So when you go from and you know the other guy that I'll be honest I considered already was was Gordon Hayward. Yeah, I considered putting him in there as well, but I don't think yet he's accomplished quite enough to get in over over a Maravich or a Karolenko. But a couple more years at his current pace, and that could that could be a pretty easy conversation. Yeah, Adrian Dantley is the other guy at the small forward spot that you can really make a good case for. 
Yeah. Um, uh, though again, I don't know how well he works in, a, in sort of a modern game. Anyway, that's that's why I asked the question is because it leads to good conversation. We'll yeah. see what Dan and, and Clark and the rest have to say about it. But thanks again, Ben, for joining us. I hope to see you again on the show next week. We'll we'll reboot it up. Um, and yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Andy. Have a good rest of the show. We'll do. All right, everyone. That was Ben Dowsett. You can follow him, by the way, at Ben underscore Dowsett on Twitter. He's the associate editor of SaltCityHoops.com. Uh, In case you didn't know, we are the ESPN Troop affiliate of the Utah Jazz. We're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got another Salt City Hoops guest, Dan Clayton, joining us. Dan's going to talk about what he learned in Summer League, his all-time Jazz starting five, more about Dante XM. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. We're the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz, just in case you didn't know. You're listening to the show, though, so thank you. We've got two new uh, tweets coming in. Actually, just one, excuse me, um, from Justin Sweeney. We were talking about the international coaching, um, kind of some interesting coaching decisions at the international level. Justin Sweeney reminded us of the Larry Brown USA team era uh, said, then there's Larry Brown who glued LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Amari Stoudemire, and Carmelo Anthony on the bench on the way to bronze. Hashtag international fun. I, I've always kind of felt that Larry Brown was a pretty overrated coach. Um, and, I, and I think that maybe have been one reason why. I mean, he kind of bounced from place to place in order to find the best spot that was for him. When things went poorly, he left those situations. Uh, yeah, I, I just always kind of had that feeling about Larry Brown. I don't have any statistical analysis there. I kind of wish I did. Um, but yeah, anyway, by the way, if you'd like to tweet me at Andy B. Larson is how you get a hold of the show. Of course, you can always call in to 877-353-0700. But for now, we do have our man Dan Clayton on the line. Dan's a writer for SaltCityHoops.com as well. Uh, former Spanish radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Dan, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going, Andy? Uh, bouncing around from place to place looking for a good situation sounds like me at lunchtime. So, <laughs> um, so I'm not going to go too hard on Larry Brown, but that was amongst your worst jokes. I'm just <laughs> okay. Just throw that out there. Well, then there, there's only one way to go from here. Then, um, good. Well, I I want to ask you about summer league because I really haven't had a chance to talk to you about kind of what you took away from the Jazz's summer league performance. Um, Obviously, you only got one game of Dante XM, two games of Rodney Hood, but you got a little bit more of Trey Lyles and the rest of the guys. What, what did you What did you come out of it with? Um, well, my main takeaway is that without Dante XM and Rodney Hood, it was kind of hard to get super interested in yeah. it. I mean, I'll be you know, it was um, no. In all honesty, like what we saw from Trey Lyles was uh, was encouraging on a level. Um, he was a little more passive than I liked at times, but just you know, like you could see what the Jazz liked about him, right? Like he, um, he's a smart guy. He has the the term that my old radio partner used to use a lot is mental velocity. Like you can just see that he's thinking the the game quicker than most of the guys around him. So that was cool. But really, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of tough going when you expect to have a couple of weeks of you know seeing major pieces of the jazz and really what you see are, are Trey Lyles and a bunch of guys who are going to be fighting for training, you know, for roster spots. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. That really was the disappointing thing was that we got, you know, almost one game of Dante Exum, and this was kind of his chance to, to make an impression. Then he plays again this week in this Australian basketball game and kind of looks just as out of out of the system, I guess, as, as he did in a jazz uniform sometimes, where he's only in the game for 19 minutes, only took four shots in those 19 minutes, of their of their real rotation and didn't play most of the second half. I mean, that's that's kind of disappointing to see after a, the good, one good summer league game that he did play. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, um, I was disappointed for sure, like you. But um, I, I'm not I'm not sure I'm super worried about it, and largely okay. because um, you know we've seen now that that Lamanis, the head coach of that Boomers squad for whatever reason, has a real aversion to using Dante heavily and particularly to using him at, as the ball handler. Yeah. Um, X spends a lot of time in corners. And um, so I don't know how heavily I'm going to hold yesterday's 19 minutes against him, uh, you know, other than to say, like, yeah, it would be cool if a, if a guy with his tools and talent um, just sort of asserted himself a little bit more, um, you know, got – like forced his way into forced his way onto the game a little bit more. I'm just not sure that Lamanis gave him that chance. Um, it's odd, you know. I mean, the, the like equal opportunity offense is all the rage right now, based on the success that the Spurs have had with it. Now the Warriors win a title playing, you know, kind of similarly. Um, and and really, it's it's a great philosophy, but the inherent problem in equal opportunity offense is that it's equal opportunity. And not everybody has the roster that can get away with, you know, like, look, Dante Exum is not equal talent-wise to Cameron Bairstow and, you know, like, insert insert guys, insert name of, uh, of Australian national team. Right. I mean, here. that's the thing is he should be doing better than Brock Modem, right? Yeah. But, I, but <laughs> I mean, Dante at this stage is kind of someone who um, – I don't want to say he needs the ball in his hands to be successful because he does do some good things off the ball. Uh, in fact, I think I think two of his three buckets came off the ball, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But anyway, he he's someone that if you tell him to go camp out in the corner, that's probably what he's going to do. Like you, you sort of need to ensure his engagement and not just expect that he'll invite himself to the party. That's true. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely true. And and you know, that's you know we talked about how Trey Burke shoots too much and very much invites himself to the party in, in the first segment with Ben. Now, Dante doesn't do that, and we're kind of criticizing him for, or at least I am, kind of criticizing him for that. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, make up your mind, Andy. What do you, what do you want from your point guard? Um, I guess somewhere in between? I don't know. I want, <laughs> I want someone who will take the shots and make them. That's all I'm looking for, Dan. Yeah, well, and to be honest with you, like, for me, it's not even about field goals attempted, although, you know, that's one way to measure sort of engagement and willing to ins- to assert yourself. I think, um, you know, I think for me, I just want to see him more involved. I want to see him making basketball decisions, the right ones, the wrong ones. Like, on a level, I don't even care because that's sort of what the process is about for a, a 19-year-old or, I guess, just turned 20-year-old um, so yeah, I mean, whether it's more shots or just more opportunities to get the ba- get the basketball in his hands and go at some people, um, you know, lead the break, keep it, 
don't keep it, whatever. I, I just think that it'll help him, and it will certainly be interesting for the rest of us to see him deal with those different basketball situations. Agreed. All right, I asked Ben this. I'm going to ask Clark this. I'm going to ask you this. Your okay. all-time Utah Jazz starting five. Oh, do I have to go position by position? Yeah. yeah okay, all right, that's fair. Um, <laughs> well, let's go ahead and assume we can give a backcourt spot to John Stockton okay. and a frontcourt spot to Carl Malone. Good call. So, so that was easy. Um, at shooting guard... At shooting guard, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to go Hornacek. Okay. I, you know, oh, man, I don't know. I know that I know that probably the reason this conversation started is because, um, you know, this was happening a week or two ago, and some people got themselves in trouble with like, where do you put Dantley versus Kirilenko versus? They didn't get themselves in I'll, trouble. It's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly think what you might have to do is you might have to put Carl up front so that you can fit. Like, you might have to put Carl in the middle, I mean, so that you can fit Dantley and Kirilenko on that. And then you're still leaving off Pistol Pete, who probably has an argument to be there over Horny, but, you know, Horny was here for the heyday. So that would probably be my five. And, and I mean, like, look, I get I get all the reasons why people are reticent to put Kirilenko there, but I was... I was looking at some Kirilenko stuff for a, a post I'm working on um, for Salt City Hoops. And, like, the guy, like, you just go look at Basketball References' um, all-time jazz leaders page. And Andre Kirilenko is, like, if not top five, he's top ten in, like, every measurable stat. Yeah. I mean, the guy, has, the guy made a major impact on the Utah Jazz franchise. He was the face of the franchise during a pretty important transitional period. Um, it didn't go well after that, and there are a lot of reasons why, some health-related, some the way he was used, some his own um, mentality. But I, I honestly think you've you got to carve a, a spot out for AK at this point, although obviously I think it's fair to assume that, that Gordon Hayward may have something to say about that sometime in the near future. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's fair. I, you know, I think Andre's high point, and I think that's what you have to look at for this <clears throat> question, is – higher than Gordon Hayward's high point has been. Uh, and then, yeah, it becomes a question of, do you want him or Pistol Pete or Adrian Dantley? And I'll tell you, Ben chose Pistol Pete out of that and you know decided he would run kind of a modern offense with Andre Kirilenko at the four, Carmelona at the five, and have lots of spacing and, and you know have it all work out with, with five pretty good passers on the floor. Um, yeah, that's a totally fair option. So, so who did he take off in favor of Pistol? Uh, either Dantley or um, or Hornacek. Or Horn- no, he had Hornacek. So he had Stockton, Hornacek, uh, Maravich, Kirilenko, Malone. Yeah, I mean, i i would go I would go to battle with that lineup. So I don't think you can shake a stick at that for sure. But which lineup wins, Dan? Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Dantley was just so flipping good for a period of time, you know? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I think, like, really, um, I was thinking about this as I was, and I don't want to, te- I don't mean to tease my article, my upcoming article no, too please. much, but I was looking at, looking back at a period in the Jazz's history when you're, like, suddenly looking and realizing that, like, man, Thurl Bailey was really good. Like, he was scoring 20 points a game as the Jazz's third option. Yeah. You know, and, and, then and you look singing and you Jazz say, Brothers music the whole time, right? Exactly. Did you know that he had like a legit recording career? 
Yeah. No, I did. Okay. I mean, all right. Well, I mean, I don't know what legit means, but like he had, like he released CDs. One year, I got one of his CDs, or at that point in history, it was probably a cassette um, for Christmas. Well, yeah. Was it the Christmas CD or the Christmas album? No, I don't think so. But it was like it was all gospel music. <laughs> okay. I, I think I listened to it like once or twice and was like, "Oh, how cute that my grandma or whoever thought that I'd be interested just because it was sung by a jazz player." But, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. My but point you were is so. It, I, no. Yeah, <laughs> my my point is just that I think that if you go back to that era, there are some players that were, um, you know, again, if we're measuring by who had the highest highs, there were some really good. There were some really good dudes on those early jazz teams. I mean, yeah. you know, Gail Goodrich was only here for a minute, but he, uh, you know, he was a Hall of Famer. Um, Spencer Haywood was an all-star who spent, like, I think a year and a half here. So, I mean, my, my point is, like, yeah, obviously those are the five I would go with, and if you take Dantley off and put Pistol on, that's fine with me too. Um, but there have been some, you know, pretty good, pretty good jazz players over the history of the franchise. There have indeed. All right, Dan, well, we got to run. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we can follow you at Dan Clayton with the zero instead of the O in Clayton. And, of course, we'll look for your upcoming article at Salt City Hoops. All right. Sounds good. Cool. All right. We've got to take a break. On the other side, we've got Clark Schmutz, another Salt City Hoops writer, coming up on the Salt City Hoops show ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, your co-host or your host for today. We've got five different guests acting as co-hosts. So uh, we've already had Ben Dowsett and Dan Clayton on, Salt City Hoops writers, and now we've got a third Salt City Hoops guy on, Clark Schmutz. Um, Clark and I used to do a show together called the Clark and Andy Show. It was a brilliant time. I love Clark. I miss him. He's like out of state, and I just you know it makes me cry. But regardless. He's on the line now, and he's going to talk to us about basketball. I'm so excited. Clark, how are you? I'm doing well, Andy. Thanks for that really sweet introduction. Aww. What a great name we had for our show, the Andy and Clark Show. That was I always called really it the Clark and Andy underrated. Show. I gave you first billing. Oh, I'd, I'd totally forgotten. Either way, <laughs> we probably um, could have thought of something better, but good for us. Yes. Um, okay, I'm going to get this question out of the way with you first. I've been, I asked Ben, I asked Dan... What's your all-time jazz starting five? Oh, this one is so hard because if I'm putting together a best five, I want fit. Fit really matters to me. So, I mean, it's different than just saying the best five jazz players, I think. So, I think, obviously, Malone and Stockton are are in there. Um, And then, you know, the center position, you have three choices, right? Actually, I decided four. So, Gobert is probably the best defensive center, especially if you're playing in today's NBA over, you know, Eaton or even Ostertag, and he probably has as much offensive game as those two. Um, so I'll just, I'll just put it out there. So my, my starting five, I would either say Stockton, oh, Hornacek, <laughs> and, uh, oh, this is going to, I'm going to get so much hate, hate uh, from this. Probably, honestly, you need shooting. So I would say Stockton, Hornacek, Russell, Malone, and Gobert, or... You're putting Brian Russell out there? I just like... I just think he was one of our best 3 and D guys ever. I mean, who are you going to replace him with? Okay, you, I mean, obviously Dantley, but Dantley was just such a scorer. I don't know if he really does a lot of else, but here, here's another option I don't think anybody's going to come up with, and that would be Stockton, Hornacek, Hayward, 
Malone and O'Kerr. Now that would be an offensive lineup. Yeah, well, so that's the thing is, why wouldn't you put put Hayward instead of Brian Russell in your line? Like, isn't isn't Hayward better at both shooting? I mean, I, he gives you more and is at least as good at shooting and defense at least in, in my mind. Probably. Oh, as a spot-up shooter, um, it just would depend on which year it was. If it was an off year, then yes. If okay. not, then he'd probably only shoot like 30% from three. No, you're probably right. I mean, Hayward's definitely a better overall player than Russell. I just think uh, Russell kind of gets overlooked. That's why I said that's a really controversial pick. But, you know, I just – who are – I mean, it's kind of sad, and it's hard to know who our best shooters were in the Sloan days because we just didn't shoot that often. But Right. Yeah, it, um, I mean, we could put out some killer offensive lineup, so that's for sure. Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you what Ben's was because I think his is the one I like most so far is Stockton, Hornacek, Pistol Pete, Andre at the four, Andre Kirilenko at the four, and Carl at the five. Do you think that works? Um, I mean, I don't love it. I did think yeah, okay. about Andre Kirilenko because I think Andre Kirilenko is borderline top five best player for the Jazz ever, but. Um, I don't know, like, what position does he play? And is he, would he be a good stretch for I mean, I'm sad we never found out. But yeah. my other issue with, uh, I mean, Maravich should probably be in there, but can Stockton and Maravich play together and be happy? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you... <laughs> don't they both need the ball to be really, really good? Maybe under a Quinn Snyder offense, yes. You get to choose the coach, too. I don't know. I don't know. This game is so hard for me, and I really don't know. I really struggle with this one. Um, obviously, like the fate of, of Jazz Eternity will, will lie in the answer <laughs> to this question, so it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, because they're, they're taking um, on like, you can make a lot of good arguments. the Bulls starting five and the Lakers starting five, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's, let's transition to the current team just for a few minutes. Uh, I want to ask you about Alec Burks, because um, he, w- he had a press interview um, with, with this whole Philippines trip that he's doing. He said uh, about his shoulder, man, I think it's at 100%. I just got cleared probably like a couple of weeks ago. Um, how do you think he fits within this kind of newfangled Quinn Snyder offense and defense? Well, it's a great question. I think he's kind of a wild card of the season because we haven't seen exactly how he fits. And from what little we saw of him last year, the returns weren't great. I, I don't think he necessarily really got it. It never looked like he... You know, was definitely understood exactly what was going on. With that said, um, he was really bad at finishing. He, it was obvious that his shoulder was bothering him, but he did some nice things. His outside shooting was a little bit improved. He took a few more three-pointers, so that may have been the direct influence of this Snyder offense we talk about. Um, and, and I thought he, you know, he distributed the ball a little bit better. I don't know because he's he's kind of a conundrum because I don't know if he fits that well with the starting lineup because he does kind of need the ball. would need a start up shoot, uh, spot-up shooter more than anything at that position. But he also hasn't really proven that he can man the second unit by himself. He also has kind of performed better with better players on the floor. So I don't know. He's going to have to kind of figure out the best fit with this team. And maybe last year was just down to the injury, but I, I really think it's going to be interesting to see how he does fit. Yeah, I, I am curious too because he – that's – you know, everyone talks about the departure of Ennis Cantor, but I also think that Alec Burks' departure had something to do with the team's kind of change in play style. Uh, I don't know if it had to do with the team's success, but change in playing style, I think, did have something to do with Alec Burks being removed from the lineup. Um, I, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, I think one of his biggest shortcomings, and I'm not the biggest Alec Burks fan to just put it out there. I think he has a chance to be a good player, but I don't think he's super smart in his career thus far. But I think he'd be awesome. I think he'd probably be our best player in like a one-on-one setting. And I used to say this about Al Jefferson to a degree. You know, people bring up his individual stats and his ability to score one-on-one, and he's actually a decent like man-to-man defender, but... It's a game of five-on-five in the NBA, so I think he's kind of shown that he has a hard time with team concepts, how to play off the ball, what to do when he doesn't have the ball, how to play with his teammates, and especially defensively, I just think he has a hard time. But but also, apparently, you know, he works hard. He seems like a sharp guy, so hopefully he'll figure that out. Yeah. Would you have preferred to sign someone in free agency, you know, besides, like, Tibor Plyce and Raul Neto, someone substantial to, to help with, you know, either the wing or big position or even a point guard? Um... I wasn't, I wasn't, okay, here's, here's the thing. The only way, the Jazz have eight to ten guys who need minutes this year. So the only way you could talk yourself into signing a good free agent is if you didn't believe in somebody in that eight to ten man lineup. So if you don't believe in Dante Exum or if you don't believe Trey Burke can really improve, then signing a backup point guard probably makes sense. If you don't believe Alec Burks is going to be great in the future, then signing a wing player probably made sense. So, you know, to that to that answer, Danny Green got me excited a little bit, and Patrick Beverly got me excited if the Jazz were going to move on from Trey Burke or, or a person like Alec Burks. But if the Jazz believe in all those players, and it kind of looks like they do, and they want one more year to look at them, then I think they did the right thing by not pursuing one of those big names. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm personally just kind of scared if there's an injury that occurs, but, uh, you know, it as it was pointed out to me, at least you will have uh, – those players will have the chance no matter what. Yeah, I think there's real value in that and, and seeing it. The only way that this has downside is if they just really aren't very good this year, if they just come out and really fall flat on their face Agreed. and don't kind of take that step or that continuation of All last right. season. I think you could see it was probably a, a mistake. Sorry. Clark, we got to run, but it's good to talk to you as always. Uh, you're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson here with you. That's me, host of the show, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. All right, so we just kind of finished up with all the Salt City Hoops writers. We had Ben Dowsett on, we had Dan Clayton on, we had Clark Schmutz on. All gave their all-time jazz starting fives. We've got those to kind of debate about later. Um, But for now, we've got kind of an NBA voice. We've got a statistical voice. Uh, Seth Partnow, he's of Nylon Calculus, the Washington Post Fancy Stats blog, joins us now on, on the hotline to talk about the, the general NBA, what we learned in Summer League, that sort of thing. How are you, Seth? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, we, we've had a fun show thus far. Ben's out of town, so it's just me asking you questions today. But, uh, I, you know, hopefully that works. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I want to talk to you first about something that you didn't write on nylon calculus but showed up on on there anyway this week and i want to know if you agree about the the charlotte hornets and in particular should they have taken the picks instead of frank kaminsky because that was kind of an option for the jazz as well as they they tried to move up to to try to take justice winslow i don't think their package was as promising as the celtics was um, but should they have taken those kind of four first-round picks that that they that either the Celtics or the Jazz offered a, a package as well to try to get Justice Winslow at nine and, and move down and, and kind of 
see what you can get with more players? Uh, there's two kind of questions you're asking here. One is kind of the, the value of all those picks they're offered, and the other side is a kind of specific to Frank Kaminsky. Um, I can't claim to be completely objective on this just because uh, to the extent that I have lingering fandom, it is of the Celtics. So there's, there's just <laughs> kind of some lingering bitterness there that it's, like, it's a great deal. Take it, please. Uh, and, and that didn't happen. Um, so, but I think that uh, from both standpoints, um, I'm, I'm not as high on, on Kaminsky as, as some people are. Um, if he's going to be a nice player, I think you'd rather kind of take four shots at a star rather than one shot at this guy who was, you know, an older player and great in the tournament and so on and so forth. Uh, so from that standpoint, um, if it were me, um, I would think I would say, yes, let's do it. Let's, let's take it. Let's take one of those deals and, and kind of diversify our, our chances of, of really hitting with this. Now, had they taken Winslow, do you say the same thing? I mean, because as, as a fan, you, you would want them to make that trade, right? Sure. No, and that's, um, that's an interesting question whether I'd say that now or then. At the time, um, Winslow kind of changed the calculus a little bit. Now, having learned a little more about him and um, – mildly disappointing summer league by, by Winslow, kind of the, the, the pre-draft questions about about kind of um, offensive skill set um, not totally answered, then I, I almost think that regardless, you kind of you, you, you trade down and take the, and, and, and take the, the, the more shots, and especially if kind of an unprotected future Brooklyn pick is involved. Yeah. You kind of have to like where that's that. That, that might be the best kind of asset of anything involved in in the whole um, in the whole setup. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that that got like second or third mentioned by Zach Lowe because to me that's that's the better asset rather than just the number sixteen pick. I, I think so, and and I I would say that's a better asset. You know that that as a future asset is better than a present asset. Once you kind of it's it's uh, I forget who who used the analogy first, but it's. You know, a draft pick is nice and shiny, but once you drive the car off the lot, all of a sudden, you know, you put a name to it, and it's whether it's Frank Kaminsky or Justice Winslow, all of a sudden that's, that's sort of less sexy than the idea of, of this future pot of gold. Right. Um, speaking of Summer League and speaking of Justice Winslow's performance in it, what else did you learn from Summer League? I mean, who, who impressed for you? Who didn't impress? Uh, did you notice any greater trends going on? Oh, the one thing that really impressed me, I think, uh, and a lot of people was uh, Emmanuel Moutier was kind of uh, the definite wow factor of, of summer league was just his kind of his, his vision, his ability to, to to penetrate and kind of get people open and then deliver on time passes to shooters and and just seems like a like really a, a, a star of the future for. For Denver, obviously, there's concerns about the shooting, especially uh, his defense wasn't great. But that's a 19-year-old guard, and their defense tends to not be great. So, like that, you look past a little bit. But the the shooting is a concern. But uh, it's already improved from what people who knew him more in high school to say. So he was, you know, by I think by good margin the, the most impressive. Uh, and on the flip side, I'm a little worried about D'Angelo Russell. Um, uh, again, very, very good vision, passing skills. Just wonder about the the athleticism to actually be able to get guys open consistently. 
and or whether he's just a guy who's who's going to be kind of out on the perimeter operating, making the right play, but not necessarily creating openings for players. And I think if that's what he turns out to be, that very much limits the ceiling of what he can be as a player. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and that's kind of interesting. We're going to have Dean Demacus on, by the way, next segment too, so I want to ask him that same question as well as kind of what he thought of the the best and worst of summer league. It'll be interesting to see his perspective. Um, okay, kind of going back to to general NBA. Obviously, a lot of free agent moves this year. Um, want to ask you in particular about the Spurs Warriors Cavs group. And I almost want to play the Matt Moore game of the Max trade for and wave, but uh, I'll, I'll just leave it up to you. As, as of right now, how would you rank those teams? Um, it's hard to not say that Golden State is still, um, I wouldn't say they're still the best and maybe not the favorite, just simply because I think uh, Cleveland has a, a leg up in terms of championship odds on everybody because I, I don't think that anyone else in the East has really improved enough to not make that a, uh, 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 their race to lose, kind of. Um, but as far as the best team, I don't see any reasons and not think Golden State is going to be the best of that group again, uh, even accounting for kind of some internal improvements from Cleveland a year in and maybe uh, better health from, I, I think that, that Kevin Love was probably hurt a little bit last year and some internal improvements there are just kind of coming together better. Uh, I still think that you know, you're going to have to prove to me that Golden State, who is, you know, um, a borderline, if not clearly historically great team last year, who's bringing everyone of consequence back, um, why, why they shouldn't be considered the best team going in. Yeah, and they were, you know, as, as you pointed out, historically good, you know. So even excellent teams from years past would maybe not be as good as, as next year's or last year's Warriors. Uh, you know, there's still... The Spurs and the Cavs still have something to show that they're at that level. Uh, is Absolutely. There... And go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the Spurs. I think are getting. Uh, they certainly had a good off season, and it's a very Spursy off season in terms of of kind of getting guys to fit into to contract slots to open up the ability to do things and stuff like that. And they certainly kind of retooled on the fly, but it's not a it's not a given that. Uh, you know, that Marcus Aldridge is going to be a seamless fit with them. I mean, you, you, you go with the, 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 you know, Greg Popovich will figure it out and, and it'll work to some degree, but to the degree that all of a sudden they instantly vault over, you know, a, a team that was significantly better than them last year, uh, I don't know. And plus you have to take into account that, you know, all their, you know, the, the main guys are all another year older and, it hasn't happened yet, but at some point, you know, Tim Duncan is going to be too old. At some point, maybe we've already started to see it. Tony Parker starts to decline. At at some point, and he's flirted with it over the last couple of years. Maybe Ginobili is just done. Yeah. So, and these are all you know things that, not knowing from the outset, you have to kind of take into account and, and say that you know if those all break San Antonio's way, sure, but that's a lot of big ifs. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. Is there is there anyone else in that that belongs in that group of three? Rockets, Clippers. Uh, well, uh, you know, the next guys in the in the West are you, you got to look at the the Clippers. Um, you got to look at the Thunder, although um, 
kind of their last move of the offseason. I guess not now since they signed Josh Houston today, but their last move of the offseason actually makes me think less of them, and I imagine we'll get to that. Um, uh, and the and the Rockets, they're they're all if, again if things come together, the Clippers certainly uh, have upgraded their main weakness, which is their bench. They, they there's no way to look at them and say they haven't you know substantially upgraded their their depth, uh, and that I think was something that really hurt them in the playoffs. Um, so maybe a step below, but they're right there too. If, if things again, if things break right, let's talk about that Thunder last move since you brought it up. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're on the side of that. It's just too much and, and a bad move for the Thunder. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I'd go so far. I, I'd go a little beyond that. Even I'm. Um, I think I'll endear myself to your listeners by saying that I'm not a, a very big uh, Cantor fan at all. Um, I think that they're actually losing stuff by having him on the court at the expense of of, of Stephen Adams and. and Serge Ibaka and Kevin Durant at the four and small lineups and, and even giving, you know, taking away time from, from Mitch McGarry uh, to develop. Um, I think that, that, that's, that it has a, an effect of making them demonstrably worse on the floor, I think. Um, so, yeah, if, if, you know, the politics of the situation aside, which can't be discounted because uh, their, their A1 goal is, is keeping Kevin Durant and if not if not matching that offer sheet, you know, exacerbates the the appearance that they're cheap in such a way that like encourages him to go, then that changes obviously changes the the calculus a little bit. But, but talking in terms of on the floor effect and their roster in terms of winning next year, um, I think you could make a strong argument that uh, the especially the amount they'll have to play him to kind of quote justify that contract. Um, makes it worrisome to me yeah no i i think that's completely fair i i you know i worry about everyone talks about the defense and i think that is really the major concern but i also kind of worry about the offense as well you know he he clearly didn't fit into quinn snyder's offensive system i i guess he fit into ty corbin's but i i don't know if that's a a good thing you know and and how post post heavy ty corbin's offense was uh, and if Billy Donovan goes that same direction next season, that's just, in my mind, not the right way to use Russ Westbrook, Kevin Durant, uh, Serge Ibaka. Sure, and I think there's, you know, if there's a way to, you know, kind of have him be a primary offensive option for the 10, 15 minutes, of, minutes a game that Durant, Westbrook are off the floor, then you kind of run a very post-centric game, then maybe that works. But that's again, that's not a guy you pay seventeen million dollars a year to. That's a guy, you know. If you know what the the question of well, what if you just signed the qualifying offer? Well, not the qualifying offer. I think is you know perfectly fine gamble for this is his qualifying offer. What I think have been around seven million last year, and and that's all of a sudden a very kind of I don't, I don't want to say attractive, but it, that at least makes sense as, as that kind of bench score kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and if that's what you're expecting from him, then Okay, you you can quibble around the margins about the defense, or or if he's taking too many shots away from Durant or Westbrook or stuff like that. But as kind of a frontline player, um, I don't like it. I I always kind of thought that that was maybe the best role, the the bench scorer role for these kind of like 
bad defense, all offense bigs. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Al Jefferson, too, in particular here. You know, if you had, like, Al Jefferson as your bench scorer, that's actually kind of ideal, right? Because you, you, you don't need, like, a great point guard in order to get the ball into Al Jefferson on the block. You know, it's, it's a pretty standard offensive efficiency that, you know, you may, you're not going to out-efficient Kevin Durant, but you might out-efficient, say, uh, you know, I don't even know. Uh, Dion Waiters. Yeah, Dion Waiters, for example. Yeah, um, although I think there's like that, that the comparison is slightly unfair to Jefferson, um, only insofar as you know uh, Jefferson is, is topped out at his best times to be you know kind of a slightly below average to average defender, and um, that would be a sea change improvement. I think yeah. any number of, of of metrics will have cancer. I don't want to say historically bad because they, they don't go. Many of the, the the systems don't go back that far, but um, very disappointing, <laughs> uh, especially relative to you know his peer group of, of of centers in terms of of defensive output. Agreed. Um, uh, kind of transitioning to the Jazz a little bit. First of all, the Jazz sure. were spectacular defensively. Last year, you know this. You know you you looked at the rim protection stats with Rudy Gobert. Um, I mean, they had a 94 D rating for the last two months of last season. That's you know that's really kind of unheard of in this era. Do you think they can be, you know, that good for the course of a season? You know, like even if they regress, they're still a a top two or three defensive team. Like, what do you kind of expect from this Jazz team, especially defensively next year? Um, I expect them to be pretty good. I don't expect ninety like a, a ninety four per hundred possessions. I think some of that is as teams are as they show up on the schedule a little more as a team. All right, we've got to be ready for these guys. Which you know, with expectations coming into the season, if they start the season well, then uh, teams are going to look at ways to kind of get Gobert out away from the basket a little more and and. And you know, finding the weak links, uh, wherever they might be, um, you know, whether it's you know, uh, putting Trey Burke and 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 Colbert's men in pick and roll repeatedly might be a you know a, a profitable way. Just just thinking ahead of of attacking them. Um, you know, I think they're going to be a good defensive team, to very good regardless. Um, I think that you know the what the last two months of the season for a non-playoff team is often a trap. Heading into the next season, that oh, if they just keep this going, well, yeah, it's usually that, that they don't. Sometimes it does, and I think there will be a you know a very good defensive team, um, especially if they kind of um, uh, transition almost more to uh, um, Hayward playing, you know, as the quote unquote point guard on offense and allowing them to kind of um, almost play Golden State style defense with you know. Uh, three kind of six seven guys along the perimeter and then two very active uh big men along the baseline i think that's a that's a, that's a frightening you know uh, concept to try to score on i think yeah i mean that is that is kind of the promise of this jazz lineup and you know especially with dante exum at the point too is you've got a tremendous length at all five positions it's kind of milwaukee bucks-esque in that sense where you can you've got the length to slow people down exum showed a lot for me as, as a rookie defensive point guard last year, um, where you can imagine building a lineup of him and Rodney Hood and Gordon Hayward and, and Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, and that's that's frightening because you really can switch to a to a huge degree. Exactly, and it also you have, I mean, 
with the um, Alec Burks, you have you know you can cycle through a few more lineups. So that's something yeah. you can you know with, with four four guys for those three spots, you can you can do a, do a lot of things with that. If you were the Jazz front office, do you have a next step in mind, or is it just develop these players and see what happens? You know, gather some more information and then make a decision then. A little bit of that. I think that you know to compete in the West, you probably need five kind of quality perimeter guys, and right now you kind of are pretty sure about Hayward. Uh, you feel pretty good about a couple of the other guys, but you don't know, and so it's kind of to see where you are, and then you know maybe you do end up having to go and get a, a, a quote-unquote two-point guard or a, a kind of a, a three-and-D player um, to the extent that those guys are available, which is always <laughs> questionable. <laughs> right. um, there, there, aren't, there aren't actually that many of them around. Um, so I think a, a wait-and-see and don't rush um, unnecessarily is, is probably perfectly okay. I think um, as good as they might be this year, and I think they're definitely in the hunt for kind of a, a seven and eight seed, um, that's not something you, you kind of mortgage the future to go after, and I would hope that the, the fan base would be understanding of there's no need to rush because there's not a move that's out there that's going to make them a contender this year. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and that's that's kind of what the, the the idea of the front office is, is, you know, let's figure out what we need and then go and get it then rather than try to get it now. You know, I I think the cost is less now, but you end up having the risk of acquiring the wrong sort of player with, say, your free agent cap space, for example. Either that, or if you start to, you know, going after established players, and maybe you don't want to trade any of your core now, so you're you're you know you're spending future draft picks, and then if something doesn't work out, you kind of you end up having to set yourself back rather than than gone forward. And I think that we've seen a lot of teams over the years kind of mistake where they are in the development and kind of, uh, to use a poker analogy, just kind of push all in when they don't necessarily have the best hand. Right, yeah. All right, uh, what are you working on, by the way? Uh, you know, Are there any studies we should look forward to? I mean, tell me, what, what do you have coming down your pipeline? Um, I just finished a couple things I was working on this week. I, um, I was looking at kind of a, a way to model passing efficiency for, for players and, and um found some interesting stuff there, and then just kind of um, apropos of this conversation, I've kind of been tweaking and revamping the rim protection numbers um, and just starting to get into uh, one of the, I think the big project I had, a couple big projects I had planned for the summer. One is to kind of we talk about, you know, positions and players do this. We're trying to figure out what the, the hypothetical average small forward, NBA small forward does, does these days across a number of metrics and, you know, do that for all the positions. So, you know, when we're talking about how, how this guy fills those roles, the things that a, a specific player does or doesn't do, we can actually, you know, measure that a little bit instead of, instead of uh, kind of doing some hand-waving and saying, well, he's not a true point guard yeah. uh, kind of stuff. And uh, the other is just kind of uh, theoretically imagining uh, what, would the, what would the perfect data look like to tell me everything I want to know. Um, it's, that's maybe slightly more esoteric, but there's a lot of questions that people have that are very good questions that we just can't answer right now because we, we haven't collected kind of the, uh, the underlying information that would allow those things to be brought to light. Yeah. I, I think sometimes with statistical analysis, there's this tendency to like, look at your toolbox to try to solve the problem. 
rather than trying to invent tools to solve the problem, if that makes sense. You know, you've got these numbers in front of you. They must say something, but some, you know, sometimes they're not the best numbers you can use or sometimes you can have tweaks and, and that sort of thing in order to actually correctly answer the questions that are, are really important to, say, general managers or to NBA head coaches, that sort of thing. And I, I, I agree with you that I think we're kind of missing some of those metrics sometimes. Yeah, and it's, it's again, it's all about asking the right questions rather than kind of, uh, well, I have this, inf- like you said, I have this information, it must mean something. Well, what question does that answer? Right. Um, and, and oftentimes some, the, the analysis that, you know, the, the lying with statistics, um, you know, line that, that people like to use is often, it's not lying, it's just I'm, I'm picking the wrong information to answer the question I, I think I'm asking. So I'm, I'm giving a perfectly correct answer, just not to the question I, I, I asked. Right. Uh, and kind of uh, that, that mismatch is what, what leads to a lot of kind of the, the, the result that people kind of, really? That doesn't make any sense. About. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, we got to go ahead and take a break. But Seth, thanks you so much for joining us. This is Seth Partnow, everyone, from Nylon Calculus and uh, Washington Post Fancy Stats blog. Are, are those articles, by the way, that you, those studies that you're, you talked about coming out on Nylon Calculus, or where are you planning on publishing those? Um, the, the, the ones that I, I talked about were on, on one on each site, and the, okay. the newer ones are going to be on Nylon, Nylon Calculus, I think, the more general ones. Cool. And then up on Nylon Calculus. Cool. Well, check it out, everyone, nylonkalculus.com. Thanks again so much for joining us, Seth. we got to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got Dean Demacus of deanondraft.com. He's going to tell us more about the prospects uh, that were taken in this year's 2015 NBA draft and kind of what, what we learned about them during Summer League. What we, uh, now that we've got this additional information, what can we expect from these prospects going into the 2015-16 NBA season? You're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking Hoops and the Association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. We're getting Dean Demacus on the phone right now. Um, we've got a reader question for him, too, by the way, which I'm excited about, uh, regarding Dante Exum versus Emmanuel Moutier. Uh, I'm curious to hear Dean's take on that once we get him live. Uh, oh, we are good? Cool. Let's go ahead and play. Let's go ahead and put Dean Demacus on. Dean, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm, I'm sorry I, I didn't run into you in Vegas at all. Like, I, I feel like we haven't talked since the draft. There's There's been so much since since we last had you on the show. Yeah, I know. Um, I didn't go to Summer League this year, but, you know, I caught as much as I could on TV. And I've been following pretty much everything that happened. So I'm excited to talk about it with you again. Well, let's let's start with this reader question from Riley O'Brien, and I, I didn't tell you that we'd be asking this, so I'm I'm kind of asking you it out of the blue if you don't mind. But uh, I had a question saying from again Riley O'Brien at Riley O'Jazz. Two questions for Dean on draft. How do you feel about Dante Exum and his one game brief performance performance this summer? I don't know if you got a chance to see that. And then in general, who do you take, Dante Exum or Moutier? Uh, regarding Exum, uh, he did have a good game. I didn't watch it, but at the same time, you pretty much have to take all of the sophomore performances with a grain of salt. Like the big challenge of summer league is you're going from NCAA straight to uh, you know bigger, more athletic people. But once you have the NBA a season of NBA repetitions, you know you're going down a level. So it's you know it's kind of like you either have to dominate or it's safe to write you off. And even guys like Kyle Anderson and Doug McDermott who had terrible 
rookie seasons, and maybe they still do become something decent, but they dominated summer league too. So in general, I wouldn't read too heavily into the sophomore uh, performance. Exum is still salvageable, still could be a decent player. I like him a lot before the draft. But I think at this point you have to err on the side of Moody just because, uh, you know, he isn't proven to have a long way to go. You know, he could just be, you know, miles ahead of Exum as a rookie, and he's not really all that likely to be significantly behind Exum. So, and I, I don't think Exum has any significant athleticism, athleticism advantage. Um, you know, Exum's a little taller, but Moody seems more explosive. So, I think between the two of them, you got to go with Moody at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Just as kind of you know, you you know more about Exum. He had the the bad offensive season last year. Um, you know, he just maybe Moody. It's really unlikely that Moody has as bad of a season offensively as as Dante Exum did last year. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Exum still can become a good player. He's so young and toolsy, and, you know, you couldn't have a bigger leap than from Australian high school basketball to the NBA. But at the same time, it's hard to really get too drooly over his, like him being a, another Derrick Rose volume two, uh, you know, pre-injury Rose, given how far he has to go at this moment in time. But, you know, he's a hard worker, so anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, also, kind of in the in the Jazz's wheelhouse, they had a decision at, at the number twelve spot this year between Trey Lyles and Devin Booker. Um, a lot of Jazz fans wanted him wanted them to draft Devin Booker, kind of add the outside shooting that the Jazz didn't really have last season. Um, and, and of course, the Jazz didn't go that way. They they ended up with Trey Lyles. I wanted to get your um, impressions on those two guys, both as prospects overall and in in summer league, and and really, who would have you taken? Uh, pre-draft, I favored Lyles. Um, I think I had Lyles about something around maybe seven or eight slots ahead of Booker on my big board. But at the same time, it wasn't really that big of a gap because I felt like kind of everybody outside of the top ten or so, there were just a lot of really solid prospects. And, you know, it was really hard to say, oh, one of these guys is clearly better than the other. Um after summer league, it's close. Um, Lyles obviously struggled to shoot. Um, I wouldn't read that heavily into it. It's kind of an in- indicator that maybe he won't be that good of an NBA player if his outside shot doesn't develop that well. But shooting poorly in summer league doesn't isn't going to be the best predictor because it's such a small sample, and you know there's so much variance in shooting over a five or six game sample. Um, with respect to Booker, Booker looked really good to me. Um, you know, he's super young. He's an incredible shooter. And he didn't have – he had really bad rebounding and steals and block stats at Kentucky, but he looked like tools-wise and like how good is it – and in terms of how good his instincts are, it looks a lot better than the stats would indicate. So it looks like he might even have a little bit of creation ahead. He's a good passer. So he could just be like a really, really, really good role player. Uh, between the two of them, I don't know. Uh, it really could go either way at this point. I guess – if I had to pick a gunpoint, I would say Booker right now, but it's like fifty-two forty-eight in my head, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, it, it is close, and I, I mean, I, I have this kind of same thought too. Is uh, I think Booker played better in summer league, uh, but you, you know, you kind of see the size there with Lyles that you, you can imagine him becoming a, a really useful player in that sort of way. If if Booker gets that creative that he did show, then you know maybe I don't know if the sky's the limit for him, but he can be a really helpful, useful player. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Lyles obviously has the advantage of having a great offensive skill set and the size to really become a force. So that's sort of a level of upside that Booker doesn't have. He's just kind of, you know, the super role player a la maybe another Reggie Miller type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I, I mean, that would be obviously best case. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. This, so this is this ESPN 700 is the home of the Utes, the University of Utah, and so naturally there's a lot of local interest in DeLon Wright. Uh, and I thought he played really well at, at Summer League, especially in that first game. You know, picking up nine assists in a Summer League game is a big deal. Uh, you know, what, what did you think? I, obviously, I, I know you had him high up, kind of, or at least relatively high up compared to where he was drafted in, in your board. Did that Summer League performance, I guess, surprise you beyond that? Uh, I would say it definitely validated my feelings towards him. Uh, you know, of course, you know, he is 23, so he should do a little better than the other rookies. But, I mean, he had a, he had a really good summer league. You know, he scored points. He got to the rim. Um, he only had – he only played two games, and he was only like 20 minutes per game, so it's a very small sample. But, you know, 11 assists versus two, 11 assists versus two turnovers, really impressive for summer league. That's when you see, you know, people normally take their lumps. And, you know, Emmanuel Moutier has like a one-to-one assist turnover ratio and everybody's glowing about how good he played. Just, you know, that's how much slack you get for making mistakes in the summer league. And DeLon Wright pretty much didn't make any. So I think, you know, I just, I just like DeLon Wright. I think he's going to be a solid NBA player. It might be, and he might even have a little bit more upside than people are giving him credit for due to his age. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I, I think it's going to be really interesting um, how he fits into that Toronto guard rotation. You know, they do they have two legitimate NBA point guards already. Uh, obviously, it kind of need an injury in order for DeLon to get major minutes, unless he just outright wins it in training camp. Well, I think what they would have to probably do is well, they, um, play him at shooting guard because he is 6'5", so he can guard shooting guards. and you know, run two ball handlers at once. You know, and also Corey Joseph isn't really a true point guard. Yeah. He's not a true playmaker. So DeLon Wright, in essence, is a good pairing because Corey Joseph gets the guard point guard, which he does so well. And DeLon Wright helps make up for the creation issues that Joseph has offensively. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I uh, want to ask you the same thing I asked Seth earlier. Who Who really did... Unimp- who, who I guess who wasn't that impressive to you? Um, who who really kind of disappointed? Oh uh, man, I have to say that for the most part, this class was just really impressive to me. I think it's just really good through and through. So there's not really, and also you know rookies do get more slack. So there's not anybody who I really wanted to say that I want to write off. Um, the one people who everybody seemed higher on than I was was Kristaps Porzingis. Um, I know he had pretty good small sample size stats, but. He just looks so unfluid and uncoordinated when he's attacking the hoop. And, you know, in some of his highlights, some of the baskets he scored, it looked like he was scoring them by accident. Like, I know he had one play where he sort of, like, threw off an off-balance, mid-range, like, one-hander that banged in. And I don't know. I really have – I mean, he could be a force defensively just because he's so, so, so big and he can move. But I have a lot of doubts about how well he's going to be able to produce offensively without having any sort of fluid motion. Um, and other than that, I mean, I'm not really that concerned about D'Angelo Russell because the Lakers have their had their last-minute printed offense installed, but he could have been better. Um, but, yeah, most of the rookies were just good to me. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. No one was I, – I, well, let me ask you this then. Did anyone stand out before I say what I think? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Stanley Johnson – 
uh, was much better than I expected. Uh, Miles Turner looked good. Uh, Norman pa- Norman Powell was somebody I had as a round yeah. two sleeper who uh, looked great. Um, so he backed up that uh, perception in my head. Um, I think Kelly Oubre looked really good, and nobody really wants to talk about him. But he was he being really disruptive on defense, getting a lot of getting a lot of rebounds, getting to the rim and finishing. Uh, I think I don't know why, but it seems like nobody really believes that he's that good. But I, he kind of has like the Nick Young feel to him. But I think it's just too soon to say that you know that's his level of feel for the game. And he might become a pretty good player when people aren't expecting it. Um, and I also thought Jordan Mickey did really well for the Celtics. He's a really he's like a six eight center, so grain of salt, but he looked really smooth rolling through the hoop and looks like a good defensive piece. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, almost everybody impressed me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I mean, I, I guess I was more impressed by the, I guess, 6 through 16 guys, I guess I would say, rather than, I, I guess, Towns, Okafor, uh, Russell didn't impress me that much, but then it was the guys at the at the bottom end of the lottery that, that played nearly as well as the, as the guys in, in the first five picks. Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, it seems like pretty much everybody in the 6 to 16 range is just awesome. Agreed. Uh, I mean, any other summer league impressions for me? I mean, I, I'm uh, you were kind of watching on TV. I, w- I was there, but it's, it's, it's a very different event. You almost get to kind of watch more basketball when you watch it on TV just because of you end up having these conversations with league execs and, and fans and everything else while you're down there in Vegas. Yeah, um, you know, last year I felt it, it was awesome being there last year. I felt like I definitely got a lot more out of being there because, yeah. um, you know, you're at the game and you really get to hone in on exactly what's going on. But, um, so, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this rookie class is going to be really good. Um, and I think, you know, we're on the same page for most of our impressions of players. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's kind of why I like about your analysis on DeanOnDraft.com, I'll plug it again, uh, is just that you do use the statistical analysis plus the scouting piece and kind of put it all together uh, and, and, you know, put in a little bit of your, your opinion, too, and, and I, I think that's that's something that fans really appreciate. So, anyway, thanks for all the great work that you do. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show again. Pleasure as always. It's at DeanOnDraft on Twitter, is that right? Yep. Cool. All right, so follow Dean at Dean on Draft, DeanOnDraft.com. We're going to go ahead and take a break and go to our final segment, kind of wrapping up everything that's going on around Jazzland, breaking down those five, uh, those top five uh, lineups in, in jazz history. We're going to get uh, our producer, John Lafollette's lineup coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, it's the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson. No co-host. But my usual co-host, Ben Dowsett, is on Twitter arguing with the people, as is his way. That is the best thing about Ben Dowsett, by the way, is that he was, he was like, born to be a, a radio host. He, he cannot not argue. It's, like, in his, it's in his DNA. He has to have, like, a very strong opinion on everything, and, and then he... he Argues it well to his credit, you know. With a lot of arguing experience, you, you learn how to become good at debate, and he is he is that guy. As I said in the show's first hour, I miss having him here. He'll be here next week, or 
he might be here next week. I don't know. I guess it depends on if his flight gets delayed or not. But we hope he will be. He's arguing with our KSL intern, by the way, Nathan Harker, who's the best intern I've ever had, although I just barely got interns, so that's a cool thing. I have interns. Isn't that wild, John? That makes you big time. I know. No, I mean, at, at the KSL Sports has interns. I you guess, have officially made it if you have an intern. I, <laughs> if, if it were like the Andy Larson intern, I would agree, but it, it's, you know. It's just not. claim it. But, okay. Regardless, Nathan's... Um, lineup which kind of sparked this as a topic between us and and really why we want to bring it up on the show his lineup is Stockton Maravich Dantley Carl Malone and Mark Eaton as as his starting five I think that's maybe a little bit too big for the current NBA and I kind of think that maybe Ben's lineup wins it based on spacing and kind of uh, avoiding those kind of post-up shots that maybe Dantley's taking a little bit too much of so we're um, we're going and current lineup, NBA then yeah I, I like doing this in in the present day because that matched up exactly with mine. Was I'm I'm taking okay. the stock. It, I think it did. Stockton, Malone, Dantley, Pistol Pete, and Mark Eaton. Yeah. So y- you and Nathan are on the same page. I just here. want the five best. That's fair. I mean, there's there's a real case to be made to like put your best five out there on the floor. Yeah. And I and I do think that maybe we overrate Hornacek a little bit because he played with Stockton and Malone. Right. I think we definitely do with Brian Russell if you're going to have him on that team. Uh-huh. Cough Clark. What is that guy thinking? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I don't. I love. I love just Warren a sec, but I don't. I don't want him anywhere near the t- the starting five, top ten for See, sure. But yeah, and I, I mean, I, I guess I want him near the top five. Like I, I put him maybe like sixth or something. And the other thing is, I worry about Pistol Pete on defense because he's not going to try ever. You know, like yeah. I, I, I do worry about that. Um, but man, what a talented guy! Like if he, if he had played in an NBA three point world, like. He would have a like four more points a game just from taking threes, and there'd be so much more spacing for him to work. And, and his passing, he really was like Steve Nash in a lot of ways, maybe more flashy. Um, I don't know. I, if you haven't already, this is like on every basketball fan's to do list. Go watch some Pistol Pete highlights on YouTube because they're crazy. Um, so you're you're going with the Stockton, Maravich, Dantley, Malone, Eaton lineup. You're with our intern Nathan Harker. I think Ben will come back next week and argue with you. Yeah, I'll, I can I can take it. Yeah, I can take Ben. He's I'm... all he's all bark. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I uh, my other favorite Ben story is that he is playing in this like that ridiculous thousand dollar fantasy f- football league. That he I would got never place in. trust myself with that kind of no, stuff. I would. I would never. <laughs> I don't know if I trust Ben with that kind of stuff either. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm not giving my money to Ben Dowsett Fantasy <laughs> Football League, and like, you know what, Ben, I'm gonna be your investor. That that's not me. I yeah, I, I, I mean, he did well last year. We have to give him props. He made money, but ultimately, I don't know. That, that's that's a lot of trust. That still makes me look queasy. <laughs> Agreed. Well, there's some stuff going on in Jazzland right now. First of all, uh, they announced a preseason schedule earlier this week. Uh, and I, I like the home schedule, first of all. You've got the Denver Nuggets coming in town, kind of Rocky Mountain rivals, I guess. But, you know, it'll be a fun chance to see that Dante Axum versus Emmanuel Moutier uh, matchup that we talked about with Dean Demacus earlier in the show. Uh, and then you've got the Oklahoma City Thunder coming by. You've got the Ennis Cantor return. You've got preseason drama, which is which is fun. Is Ennis going to be the next universally booed guy to come in ESL? Yes, for sure. I, I, I mean, he is... 
He'll get booed more than Derek Fisher, right? Because like there were some people who were like, "No, we shouldn't boo the kid, the the player who." <laughs> Everybody feels did a little well. bad about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. No one feels bad about booing Ennis Cantor at this point. Like once you go, "Oh, I don't like anything about your team. I really didn't like my teammates. I didn't even try my hardest while I was in Utah." Like, how can you not boo that player? I wonder who would, if you had to pick one, who would you boo more intensely, Boozer or Cantor? Cantor, to me, anyway. Like. I wonder if the rest of the fan base would agree with you, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more Carlos Boozer, pro-Carlos Boozer right. than everybody else. Uh, just because, like, you look at what he did, what he actually accomplished when he, when he was with the Jazz. Like, that in, that incredible Game 7 against the Rockets, I believe, in the 2007. Um, you know, putting up, I think, it was 13, 35 points, 14 rebounds in a Game 7 to to push your team over the top. Like, that's that's big time. Um, Ennis Cantor never did anything remotely like that, and like not in a playoff game, not in a regular season game. And if he was scoring thirty five, and I don't think he ever did, he was giving up fifty. You know, right. I, I mean that's that's hyperbole, obviously, but still, it, not it's, not a lot though. <laughs> not a lot. He of gave hyperbole. up a lot of points. Yeah, and a he lot was of easy ones. he was really good offensively last year in, in OKC. But anyway, I'm curious to see that game. And then they also take on the Portland Trailblazers and and Damian Lillard, which is fun. I, I am. Curious to see this new look Trailblazers lineup, uh, where Damian's the the unquestioned star of that group. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does as kind of the the definite alpha dog. We've got Trey Burke. Uh, oh, and then the Jazz are going to Hawaii too for the first two games of the preseason, which I forgot to mention. But that'll be fun for beat writers who travel with a team. That's not me, but still. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask, do you get to go? No, I, unfortunately, I don't. Um, but as Aaron Falk posted on Twitter, how many Mai Tais can a reporter possibly expense to the, <laughs> to the Salt Lake Tribune account? See how far you can know. push it. Yes. Uh, Trey Burke is in Africa right now for the NBA's first ever NBA Africa game. We talked about that last week, but he's actually there now um, playing for that NBA world team that's taking on the NBA players from Africa. That'll be a cool game. Um, and, and then Trey Burke is in the Philippines as well, so that's fun. Um, uh, kind of teaching those guys basketball. The Philippines just love basketball so much. I mean, it's it's I think the only other country in the world where basketball is the number one sport, which is random and cool. Um, only other country? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, is America number one sport? Like what football? Other? Right. So, what country likes basketball as a number one sport? <sighs> right. Like, it's, yeah, it's probably I, the I Philippines. Can't, I can't think of any. And then full stop. You know, you can make a case for like. Lithuania and some of those Eastern European bloc countries, but like, I I think the Philippines are on a whole nother level in terms of how much they like basketball more than they like the other sports. What about China? China ping pong. <laughs> that I'm actually kind of serious. No, it does. Uh, they I I think they like ping pong more than they like basketball. That's shameful. A little bit. Uh, I mean, ping pong's a great sport. I'm not gonna hate on. I it. I love playing me some <laughs> ping pong, but I don't know. You gotta go with basketball. Also in Jazz News, uh, Energy Solutions Arena, uh, Steve Starks, who I did a profile on, kind of been, has been pushing these improvements to Energy Solutions Arena rather than replacing it like some of these other arenas around the league. That's a good sign for the Jazz. Uh, we're going to go ahead and end the show. Thanks again so much for listening. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or ESPN700sports.com. If you missed any of the show, thanks again, everyone. Salt City Hoops, ESPN700.